This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. Listeners, I am so excited to talk with Jeffrey Hollander today. He is the co-founder and former CEO of Seventh Generation, um, and right now he is the current CEO of the American Sustainable Business Network. So today we're going to talk about greenwashing, um, gaps between consumer expectations and business reality, and we're, I'm just really, really excited, I mean, number one, to, to get into the topic, but I also am a big fan of Seventh Generation, so thank you for, do, for starting that company. Welcome, Jeffrey. <laughs> Happy to be here, Laura. Look forward to our conversation today. Yes, yes. So I wonder if you can get us started by just doing a really brief intro of yourself and your, you know, maybe a little bit more about your background, um, you know, getting into uh, being a sustainable business owner and then, you know, founding the um, American Sustainable Business Network. Sure. Uh, I'm what you might consider a serial entrepreneur. I've started about six businesses in the course of my life. And uh, the most notable one is, of course, Seventh Generation, which has been a huge success and is about 33 years old at this point. Wow. Uh, When I left Seventh Generation, I helped start the American Sustainable Business Network, which is a group of progressive businesses working on public policy, uh, trying to do things like raise the minimum wage, put a price on carbon, pass family leave. We also have, uh, as part of our organization, something called Investor Circle, where we make small uh, angel investments in a whole variety of high-impact businesses. And we have a wonderful conference in uh, December where everyone gets together and there's a lot of mentoring of young entrepreneurs that goes on by uh, older folks like me. That's wonderful. And so, yeah, I guess I didn't realize how long seventh generation has been around, but I I definitely remember, um, you know, as I was growing up and um, I I was, so I grew up in Texas and my family was not specifically focused on eco-friendly cleaning products or really like considering um, any of the ingredients that were going into what we were using. But I was, I can't remember how on earth it got into my head that I was just so obsessed with this, but I remember like going into Whole Foods and being like really excited about seeing, you know, laundry detergent and, and cleaning sprays and things like that, that weren't, you know, using bleach or stuff that was pretty, you know, pretty toxic. So um, I have all, you know, I I think the products are really interesting. I'm I'm curious to know too, Jeffrey, like, um, we're going to talk a lot about just, you know, kind of some general business terms and things like greenwashing stuff. But I'm curious to know too, um, you know, as you founded um, Seventh Generation, and you were really a pioneer in establishing, you know, standards or even jargon around, you know, the whole eco-friendly cleaning, you know, ethos. I'm curious to know, like, how 
how you thought about that. And maybe, you know, if you could walk us through that journey, I find that very fascinating. Sure. Happy to do that, Laura. Um, you know, when we got started back in 1988, there were not terms like greenwashing or uh, socially responsible business uh, or green products for that matter. So yeah. we had to really invent. And I remember uh, a bunch of publications that we wrote and, and distributed that basically helped people think about what types of products they wanted to have around themselves and in their home. And we, we basically started with some very simple principles. We basically said, if a chemical is toxic, uh, it shouldn't be in our homes. We don't need yep. to have toxic products in our homes. We can get our clothes clean. We can get our dishes clean without using toxic chemicals. Uh, we also thought about the air we breathe and people think less about that. But one of the biggest challenges we face is that we bring these toxic products into our home. They pollute the air we breathe and we end up having asthma or allergies or all kinds of other health issues. So we were very concerned about something called VOCs, volatile organic yep. compounds, and we didn't want our products to have VOCs in them. And it was really a process of invention. And then, of course, later we started thinking about climate change. And we were very, very concerned about the manufacturing process as well as the ingredients we were using in terms of how much CO2 was getting emitted. And we always published our product development guidelines so that people could see what they were and ask us questions about them. There were basic things as well, like not testing our products or ingredients on animals. Uh, so it was a process of evolution. We had a, and still have a wonderful man who's worked for the company for 30 years called Martin Wolf, who is our chemist, who really led that process of defining what is and is not okay for us to use in our products. That's fascinating. Actually, I was going to ask you that, which was, yeah, I mean, from a from a pure science perspective, I'm sure it was very interesting to work through the actual chemistry of things. And, you know, and, and you know, we'll talk about, you know, all these kind of misleading terms that get thrown around today. But, you know, there's so many people that are like, this is toxic, quote unquote. And it's like, it's actually not like, it's not the, the true word <laughs> meaning of the word. And, you know, all of these kind of confusing things that get thrown out at customers. Um, and so I think, you know, having the experience that you did, which was, hey, we're going to actually like be innovators here. We're going to define these things back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, I, I would think would have been really interesting and probably, um, you know, a very fun, uh, fun place to be as, as you thought about the impact that you were going to have uh, on society. <laughs> It was really one of the most interesting and stimulating intellectual processes yes. that we went through. And what's really important, I think, as important as the decisions we made, is the transparency of opening those decisions up to our stakeholders, our customers, our consumers, so that they can discuss, debate, and challenge us around what we're doing. And that has often led to changes in those guidelines. And to have a, a healthy relationship with a company and to really feel good about using their products, that radical transparency is absolutely critical. 
And you know what? It is so important in the industry that we're in, right? I mean, we get the same kind of questions and community, I guess, feedback around everything that we do at Good Together and at Brightly. I mean, it's something where, you know, if we make a statement saying, well, this is more eco-friendly than, you know, X, Y, or Z, people ask us, well, why is that? And I do think, you know, having that um, established transparency and that forum for community interaction is so important industry because of things like greenwashing. And I guess, you know, kind of getting into that, I mean, everybody has kind of talked about that, um, you know, that word many, many times. And I'm wondering if you can kind of give us your perspective as to like what greenwashing actually means and what it's looking like in, in practice. Sure. So, you know, I, I think about greenwashing as a intentional or even unintentional effort to mislead a consumer about the health and safety of a product that they're considering purchasing. And that comes in many forms. Uh, sometimes people make claims where there's just no proof of the accuracy of their claim. Sometimes they make vague claims, so you don't really know what they're talking about. Yes, yep. Oftentimes, people make irrelevant claims, like they say a product is free of a certain chemical, and you think, oh, that's good, but the product never had that chemical in it in the first place. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't thought about that one, Jeffrey. That's like, that's a, that's a gotcha moment right there. <laughs> and these are the kinds of things that... Uh, are sort of at the heart of greenwashing. Uh, and I would say the last thing is using words that have no meaning. One of those most commonly used words is the word natural. There is no mm -hmm. definition of the word natural. It's not a, a scientific term. And it's probably the most overused and abused term by green product companies and manufacturers. Yeah, I mean, th th that's really interesting. And you're right. I mean, it's uh, we all get asked all the time to define these different terms. And of course, we come up with, you know, what we we find to be the best and, you know, best examples out there. We totally agree, like natural, that doesn't make a lot of sense to most people. And one of one of the things I thought was was interesting, what you just mentioned was the concept of um, like almost like deliberately pulling the wool over people's eyes. If we think about it this way, like just, you know, to me, the whole, um, example you gave of, oh, we're, we're going to have a product that's free of X and the product never had it to begin with. That to me definitely seems like it's, it's fishing for, um, you know, goodwill where it shouldn't be like, it's very strange. Um, and another thing that we, we talk a lot about too, is, um, you know, it's almost like deliberate, um, omission of information. So for instance, um, people get really excited about bioplastics and, you know, how, how, you know, those are going to be game changers, et cetera, et cetera. And while I think it is nice that we're figuring out ways to create, you know, materials uh, outside of a petroleum, uh, you know, situation, oftentimes these bioplastics can't even be recycled. And so then the consumer thinks, okay, well, I'm just going to throw this in the recycling bin and it doesn't happen. So, you know, to me, it's just, it's such an interesting, um, you know, uh, thing to wrap our heads around, right? As they say, it's sometimes hard to be green. 
Yes, it, really it is. Requ- it really requires education and study. And it also requires a government that is uh, looking out for us and challenging companies who are making misleading claims. And, you know, we're talking about things that are maybe more subtle, but uh, I'm looking uh, at an ad for a bottled water company that says every drop is green and the bottled water happens to come from halfway around the world. There's a huge amount of air pollution and CO2 emissions that take place every time you move that water uh, to its consumption point. There's just no way that every drop is green. It just doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, exactly. I know. I remember one of our most viral TikTok videos that I actually I'm I can't say that I'm the one behind the one behind the camera filming most of the time. But in this case, I was because I was at a major retailer and I saw I was in the bottled water section. I wasn't there getting bottled water because I don't ever do that. But I, I think I like walked by it and there was literally individual containers they almost looked like yogurt containers individual plastic containers for water for dogs oh. <laughs> like plastic you know packaged water for dogs and i i just remember thinking to myself what on earth is this and you know we we put that on tiktok to be like is this actually necessary and so yes i mean it's it's not just necessarily um I think challenging the the whole concept of greenwashing, et cetera. I think it's also just challenging the whole nature of the product itself, right? Well, I mean, that you point out is a huge, huge issue because greenwashing or not, there's a lot of stuff we just shouldn't buy because yes. it makes absolutely no sense. And even if that dog water uh is as green as it can get. It makes absolutely no sense to buy bottled water for your pets. Uh, I guess unless you live somewhere where the the water is not safe to drink. Exactly. So no, I, I think it's interesting. It's kind of like a an unsung or even unthought about, um, you know, I think vector as we think about greenwashing and conscious consumerism. But any coming back to, you know corporate transparency. I mean, you recently wrote an article for Inc. that was called, Could Corporate Transparency Be the Cure for Greenwashing? And so, um, you know, I was, I was, con- you know, really uh, consumed by this article because you, you specifically mentioned that even well-meaning companies can fall victim to greenwashing unknowingly. And of course, companies like people aren't perfect. And so, you know, the more transparency that I think consumers have into these mistakes, the better. But you even said, you know, at one point, um, seventh generation came under fire for false advertising. So tell us a little bit about that. It's really interesting. Yeah, it was a case where we knew we had a problem and we were working furiously to fix the problem. And we were making progress. We were making good progress, but we hadn't completed the fix. And so we decided to be silent. We didn't make claims that were false, but we were silent about the problem. We were Mm. silent about the fact that there was a chemical that was not non-toxic in our products. And the very fact that we were silent, the very fact that a company that says it was committed to radical transparency failed to be open and honest is itself uh, a, a huge mistake. Uh, we paid a big price for it. Uh, we owned up right away that the, the, the challenge about the chemical was accurate. We committed 
to not only fix it within 12 months, but share our solution with everybody from an open source perspective so that the whole industry could move away from that problem. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that that was a really good way to go about doing it. And I, and I also think, too, the the story and, you know, both both your article and then the story you just told us, I think does really highlight, you know, the conflict between, you know, a capitalist society and a company that obviously needs to make money and also, like, needing to maintain these commitments that are set forward about being sustainable. I mean, obviously... Um, you know, you weren't putting that that chemical into that product um, because you wanted to. It probably was because it was the one that was available at the time for for many different reasons. And so, you know, I, I do think um, there is such an interesting conflict here about like doing things the 100% right way versus almost there. And, you know, it, it's very confusing, uh, both from, I think, a, a consumer perspective, but then also a business owner perspective, as I am myself. <laughs> Well, what's interesting is in that particular case, it wasn't even a chemical that we put into the product. It was a chemical reaction that mm. took place between two chemicals that caused this third chemical to form. But it doesn't matter because we misled our consumers. We let them down and it was wrong to do. We're not alone, unfortunately. I mean, I was just reading a study that the Harris Poll recently did. And the study said in a new survey of 1,500 global executives, more than half, and in the United States, 68% admitted their companies are guilty of greenwashing. That is a scary, scary statistic that 68% of executives in the United States know their companies are greenwashing. Oh my gosh, that is an extremely scary statistic. And you know, I hear a lot of those on the podcast. And I have to say that kind of that one's a big one. Um, that that's really, really unfortunate. Um, and so, you know, you you talk a little bit about this in the article, um, you know, around the, the, the concept of radical transparency. So, like, what do you feel like honest business practices can actually look like in practice? Well, I think you often have to turn around the way you think, because companies like to decide what they want to say about themselves. And usually they only like to say good things about themselves. But we think about it at Seventh Generation as what would the consumer expect of us? What would the consumer want to know about the products we're selling? And we, by taking the consumer lens rather than the business lens, because the business lens is going to be, let's find as many great things to say about our products as possible. The consumer lens is, if I'm a consumer, first of all, I know that most products aren't perfect. So I want to know why they're not perfect and what's wrong with the product that I might consider buying so I can make an informed decision. And it's very, very difficult for companies to do. Companies don't like to be self-critical. And from my perspective, I mean, I remember when we, we were put on, on our website a critique of our own products and our sales force was like, oh my God, you're making it difficult for us to sell our products. Yeah. They said, they said the competitors are going to bring this into the buyers and the buyer's not going to buy our products. Well, you know what? The buyers were a lot smarter than our sales force. The buyers said, I know that no product is perfect. 
when you want to disclose what seventh generation discloses about its own products, I'll consider buying from you. But other than that, we consider seventh generation a real leader in being radically transparent for being critical of the products it sells. Absolutely. And you know what? I we we do actually talk a lot about this um, mindset shift as well um here here at Good Together, which is exactly how you framed it. And I think um there is a lot of, I think, bravery involved in in business, um, you know, as, as they're coming out and, and trying to do better. And it, and it does sound like, you know, seventh generation was trying to innovate there. And so I'm curious also to, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your, your new role over at the American Sustainable Business Network, because I, I would imagine, and I want you to obviously tell me, <laughs> but I would imagine you are trying to take some of the you know, best practices that you were able to implement at seventh generation and, you know, I suppose give some playbooks to other sustainable businesses. Tell me a little bit about like some goals or maybe some some different initiatives that you're working on there. Sure. Well, we start with this concept that we don't want to be an exception to the rules. We want to change the rules. We want to change the rules by which all business is done. Because if there's a handful of progressive, wonderful companies doing the right thing, there isn't enough influence and impact to tackle the challenges we're facing, whether it's climate change or whether it is uh, social inequity. So, for example, we're thrilled that the SEC right now is considering new disclosure requirements on climate change for publicly held companies. They're basically telling these large companies, they have to disclose how much CO2 they're emitting. They have to disclose the business risks that those bring upon their business and that investors and consumers have a right to know that information. So ASBN, the American Sustainable Business Network, is about these legislative structural changes, changing the rules of the game by which business gets done for the benefit of consumers as well as the benefit of investors. And as I touched on, you know, we're very focused, of course, on climate change, very eager to have the SEC bring this new disclosure requirement into law. But we're also very concerned about putting a price on carbon. We think that ultimately one of the most critical ways in which we can slow the rate at which climate change is progressing is by making companies pay for the pollution they're putting out into the world. We're very concerned about things like the minimum wage. We don't think people can live on, uh, well, if you're working in the restaurant industry, you might be only making $2.50 an hour, but whether it's $7 or $15, most families can't survive on that amount of money. And what we promote is something called the living wage, which allows people to live decently without having to depend upon government subsidies to uh, get by. Those are the types of issues that we advocate for. Also, very, uh, very concerned about agriculture and moving away from chemically dependent agriculture to regenerative agriculture. Very focused on this idea of a circular economy. When you put something out into the world, it should be able to be circulated back rather than end up in the landfill. So those are some of the things that we touch on, but uh, it's important that business lend its voice to these issues. It's really important that business 
speak out, let legislators know, both at the state level and the federal level, that they want uh, the government to change the rules of the game so that all businesses have to behave in a more responsible fashion. Absolutely. I, you know, and I, I was, of course, like, I think I'm sure you were too very encouraged by, you know, some of the recent um, passage of legislature, um, you know, that is focusing on more climate initiatives. So that's great. And I do really do wish the government would would continue to step it up in, in many different uh, areas in that in that regard. Um, so bringing things back to, I, I guess, the consumer lens um, and, and thinking a little bit about this, too. So we talked a lot about, um, you know, I think problems um, that we've identified with businesses in terms of greenwashing or, you know, misleading consumers. So so what do you typically tell people when they say, you know, Jeffrey, how do I how do I avoid greenwashing? Like, are there specific um, certifications you tell them to look for? Or, you know, is, is the answer for, for them to just do more research? I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. I am a big advocate of certifications. And my favorite certification is the B Corp certification, yes, love which it. <laughs> is holistic and system-based and doesn't just touch on one aspect of a product, but looks at the company holistically from a, a hundreds of different perspectives. So B Corps are the first thing I think consumers should look at. Then there's much more specific certifications like organic. I mean, organic is a terrific program that the government developed. And uh, that specific certification really is more about who I am as a consumer and what I care about. Do I care about not being tested on animals? Do I care about something that is vegan certified? I think these certification programs are terrific. And you as a consumer have to think about what's important to you when you shop and make sure that when you buy a product, don't pay so much attention to the claims that are on the front of the package, but look around on the back to see what certifications are verifying the accuracy and truth of those claims. Absolutely. Yeah, there there's so many different certifications out there that I feel like people can, you know, look up and, and listeners, we have um, you know, a certification directory that we we specifically love um over at Brightly. We'll we'll include the link here to the show notes. Um, but yes, I, I think you know, the B core that you mentioned is just fabulous for for all the reasons you mentioned. And then yes, I mean, having people I like that idea, which is like, you know, the front of the package is very designed to be eye-catching and something that you're just going to gravitate towards on the shelf. But yeah, flipping it around the back to actually look at the ingredients and to see those certifications, I think could be really, really important important and impactful. So um, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I mean, I already kind of do it, but now I'm going to like include that as like part of my stuff, right? <laughs> well, the next level is asking questions. I mean, uh, yes. I'm looking at a package of diapers and it says organic cotton. What, is it, what does that mean? How much organic cotton is really in those diapers? Turns out 1% of the diaper is organic cotton, even though there's a big claim on the front of the package that says organic cotton. Ask how much. Ask questions about these claims. If someone's claiming that their product is natural, well, before you buy it, find out based on what are they making that claim. 
Absolutely. Actually, diapers themselves are so problematic. I just had my first baby about nine months ago and we chose to um, cloth diaper because as I, I mean, as I learned about the impact of diapers and landfills and everything like that, we decided to go the cloth diaper route, but occasionally we do still need to use disposables. And I'm telling you, trying to weed through all of the quote unquote, like, you know, quote unquote, compostable diaper, like they don't actually exist, <laughs> you know, like part of the, the product is compostable, but the rest isn't. And there's just so many weird, I think compostable is actually one that, that listeners you should watch out for, because that one I feel like is really, really abused. Like oftentimes people think you can just throw something in your home compost and in, in the really fine print below, it's like only in a commercial facility, which like literally no one has access to anyway, right? <laughs> well, the other claim that is similar to that is biodegradable. Yes. Uh, is it biodegradable over 500 years or is it biodegradable over 30 days? Uh, if they're not telling you, uh, I would not believe the claim. And, you know, that's what I mean about substantiated claims. If someone's going to say organic cotton, biodegradable, compostable, they need to define the way in which they're using that claim. And if they don't define it on the package, they absolutely should define it on their website. Absolutely. Um, so kind of uh, rounding out our conversation, we typically like to end our um, podcast with the same question to all of our guests because it's, it's really fascinating to understand like your perspective. And so the question I'll ask you is this. So from your standpoint, um, you know, in, in all of the, you know, you know, conversations and, you know, initiatives you're involved in, like, what is exciting to you about the ethical and sustainable consumer movement right now? Well, I think two things are really exciting to me. One is that companies are paying attention. So all of a sudden, 80, 90% of all companies are issuing sustainability reports because they know that consumers care about the issue. So that message has gotten through to business that sustainability matters corporate responsibility matters, and we want to know what you're doing as a company around it. The second thing that is really exciting, and this is exciting to me because I teach at New York University, and I teach uh, business, but I teach responsible business, is that young people are really taking the lead here. Young people are really thinking about the decisions they make when they purchase. They're pushing companies harder. They're not doing uh, what my generation did, they're really becoming activist consumers. And that message is also getting through to consumers, customers, uh, I'm sorry, companies. They know that if you want to hire these young entrepreneurs, these young leaders, you have to run a responsible, sustainable business, or you won't attract the best talent that you can. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, really hearing your perspective about things from the business owner's perspective has been fascinating. Well, um, thank you so much for joining me, Jeffrey. Um, listeners, we will include links to the American Sustainable Business Network and a bunch of the other, um, you know, topics and things we covered um, in today's uh, episode with the show notes available at brightly.eco slash podcast. Um, but Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me. Sure. And there's one thing I didn't mention, which is the nine sins of greenwashing yes uh, and you can find that online and it's a handy little tool to give you some more information about what to look for absolutely well we will link to that um because you know i, I want to like print that out and, and stick it up on my refrigerator at this point but yes we'll definitely link to it um and thank you so much my pleasure it was a lot of fun 
and uh, look forward to chatting with you again. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.